0: Welcome to Our Story, a podcast where ordinary people share extraordinary stories. My name is Atherva, and today I'm joined by my good friend Eugene Abing. What's up, buddy? How are you?
1: Hey, Atherva. I'm doing well, man. Well, I saw this one can be. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, same, uh, I guess. Uh, so, doing good, and I know it's been about. Man, about two years since our paths last crossed, but I know we've like kind of kept in touch through social media and stuff, but uh, kind of fill me in. How's life and uh, what have you been up to? Uh,
1: life is uh, decent. Just, I think kind of like everyone else, um, trying to figure out how to best adjust to coronavirus. So been working from home a couple of days, but then I sometimes also have to go in for projects. And then um, I was supposed to go to Ghana in August, but due to everything happening, that also got pushed. So really it's just kind of sitting and waiting and trying to pick up a couple of skills in my free time.
0: Okay, that's cool. Um, Now you said uh, visit
1: Ghana. Is that home for you? Yes, yes. So uh, born and raised in Ghana and That is where 99.9% of my family members are.
0: Interesting. Okay, so, you know, Eugene, if I were to look up your name on Wikipedia, what would that first paragraph for your bio say? Uh,
1: In a very, very idealized world, because, you know, this may not actually be what you see in person. uh, But bio would say something along the lines of Eugene born and raised in Jamestown, which is a tiny fishing village in Accra, the capital of Ghana, Uh, moved out to the States when a couple of months before my 10th birthday, uh, we moved to California at first. And then, as my dad says, he recognized how expensive it was uh, to go from one person to four people on the same salary. So within a year, we moved out to Houston, Texas. And that's went to middle school and high school. Um, And then I went to Texas A&M for my undergrad. And then I moved to Atlanta in 2018. And I have been here since.
0: Okay, very cool. So a lot of similarities between us, but in a very um, opposite end of the spectrum in the sense of, I was also 10 years old when I moved to the US uh, from India And uh, similar like you, my dad moved to the U.S. before, you know, the rest of the family did. So I just find it interesting how, you know, similar stories, but, you know, from different parts of the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I'm finding out how many people just seem to have that. Like whether it's in Houston or Atlanta, very, very rarely do I go – say, a couple of weeks without so meeting someone that says, yeah, I came to this country when I was really, really young, and I'm the first of my family or whatever to be here.
0: Yeah, very cool. And I think that's part of the American fabric, you know? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. yep. So let, let's uh, paint a picture of your uh, childhood in Ghana for folks that have never been or uh, don't know much about it. Uh, how would you describe it to us?
1: Um, my childhood in Ghana, it's, it's a bit unique, I'm finding out. Um, so throughout my life, I've effectively been a foreigner or an outcast to a degree, which I recognize has influenced just how I see the world in general. Um, but my family is from the Akan tribe and my grandpa had moved to the city which is where people from the Ghana tribe mostly live. Um, He had moved into the city about, what, 20, 30 years before I was born. So really hadn't been there that long. And when I was growing up, um, because they had been there for, you know, a couple of decades, the community knows them, people get along well. And um, as a kid growing up, one sees that all Everything seems to, um, people seem to just get along. But it's also pretty obvious that my family speaks a language that most people around us don't speak. And as I started growing older, before I moved to the U.S., I started getting the sense that, oh, okay, there are also some people that feel um, a bit of animosity towards us, specifically because we're outsiders coming in into your land or into their area or whatever it is, um, so that was my childhood growing up. Was just going back home to the village a lot and just not losing sight of my roots and where my family is coming from, and why we are where we are currently, while trying to find my way in. You know what is effectively my new home. The minute I step outside. I have to speak the language that everyone around me is speaking, not just what we speak at home.
0: That is, that is really interesting. So just so I understand, um, the tribe that you said your roots are from uh, is not necessarily where you grew up. So can you help me understand, like, how different is it now? You said the language is a little bit different. now. Are we talking about different dialects or are we talking about completely different uh, language, culture, food? Or was there enough overlap where you were able to assimilate very quickly? Or was it different enough where, you know, you were labeled as the outsider?
1: Um, The latter. So I would say the differences would be, I don't know what local dialect you have in um, India or which one, like, your family speaks. There might be multiple.
0: Yeah, so... Our, our, my, my mother tongue is called Marathi, which is um, the the best way I describe that is you know how English, Spanish, French are all derived from Latin. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the major Indian languages like Hindi, which is like the national language, most common one, Marathi, Gujarati, those all derive from Sanskrit. So it, I, they're definitely unique in the sense of like they have their own uh, characteristics to denominate them as their own languages but i can pick up like random words from different languages for example like if a spanish word is spoken you could like pick up some similarities just because you know english similar yes. to that yeah similar to that um, you know Marathi and hindi and gujarati like they have enough overlap where you could kind of make your way around understanding what people are saying but definitely not enough to hold a conversation or you know read a script
1: Well, I was gonna, I think you bringing up Spanish and English is actually a pretty good analogy, where I would say that's where um, the Ga and the Akan tribe languages seem to um, also compare. So, like, there's a whole historical part where our language isn't as as written down as, you know, like, English and Spanish is, Mm -hmm. but the Ga tribe weren't... Um, native to the place that they currently live in Ghana so they know that they come from Nigeria and so when they came they had to assimilate and similar to one would say English settlers coming to the Americas and just trying to figure things out so you communicate you pick up on a couple of words from the other language Mm -hmm. so really that's where the similarity um, ends you can see that There might be the same word for water, which can make sense if these people had to come over by sea and they're trying to figure out how to communicate with these people that currently already live there. Um, But similarity and the similarity in the language for me, if I hear someone speak in Spanish, I literally could not tell you what they said because I know no Spanish. Mm. Um, And that's how it was growing up, where if, if someone is listening to my family speak um, and they don't know Chi. They just, they literally have no idea what we're talking
0: about. That's very interesting. Uh, I'm learning a little bit about history as, as well as you're describing this, but you know, we see this kind of story across the world and it's a similar, um, similar pattern each time where um, at some point in history, Uh, two different types of people came together in various circumstances, but that assimilation kind of evolved in a very similar pattern across uh, all these different cultures, different parts of the world. And I think we are seeing that in the United States as well. Would you agree?
1: Yes, 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 100%. And I was gonna say, similar to Ghana, part of how the languages um, assimilate towards each other is heavily accelerated by whatever is happening over the world right so um for me when i think okay middle 20th century what is happening and you well no early 20th century you have european countries splitting up you know african um, nations but in order to do that the way they're trying to you're mixing certain tribes that otherwise wouldn't be right next to each other and they're having to they're being forced to effectively call a place a home which wouldn't naturally be their home um and when you bring up america i feel like that ends up being similar except it's by choice right where someone from india can come someone from ghana someone from um brazil and we can all live in the same neighborhood but now we have to like learn a little bit from each other at a faster pace than we otherwise would
0: yeah that is very interesting and like- Everyone asks, like, uh, the analogy I use is, like, how would you define American culture? It's, like, the same question as, like, what would you define American food as? Like, American food is literally put together just a hodgepodge of all past generations of immigrants who brought their food over to, you know, what we have today.
1: Yes, yes, I, I couldn't agree more.
0: That's very cool. So now let's talk about your uh, transition to the United States. Uh, How was that uh, culture shock for you? Or was there a culture shock? What was that um, uh, first few years when you moved to the United States? Uh, How long did it take you for, you know, to settle in? Was it very different than what you were expecting of what your image of the Americas were? Or uh, was it a different story for you?
1: That's a very funny question that I haven't had to answer in a long time. Uh, But coming to the U.S. like as a kid, what we were told was that America is a land of gold. So I'm literally expecting to get off the plane and there's gold lying around everywhere.
0: Um, Interesting.
1: To to say I was disappointed to say the least. as a child from the get-go and then I'll, I'll never forget this that's my dad is driving us from the airport to his apartment I'm looking out and I'm just like huh I mean like this looks really really pretty but it's not too dissimilar from the really really nice parts of Ghana that I wouldn't get to go to either right so I'm over here like okay this is pretty dope but I'm not like super wild. and Actually, a bit of important context to give too is growing up in Ghana. I grew up incredible, so my family was. Um, I thought we were the richest family in the entire world because we had like a TV, um, and this is what ninety-five. So we had a TV. We didn't have flush and toilet. I knew that my family at max made about a dollar a day, and everyone around us made significantly less than that too. So we're just like in a really poor. It's our Ghanaian version of the hood. Um, So I'm coming here and I come first going to California and seeing that oh wow this is really nice but you know back in Ghana when you see these kind of things because of where I'm from I know people are going to be looking at me to see how I react and things like that Um, and that learning that process became a bit longer for me. Because for me, I'm a foreigner in a new land that things look better, which is why it's kind of had been programmed in my mind uh, when I think of, as a kid, knowing that my family is really from the village and we're trying to make our way in the city. It didn't seem too dissimilar to think of my family is from Ghana and we're trying to make our way in America. but I, I was a little disappointed with the lack of gold everywhere.
0: <laughs> so you make an interesting point. So I, I would say I had a similar like this um, this notion that the the United States where this, you know, posh area, everything is, like you said, glistening and uh, clean. And when I arrived, it was a rainy day and I moved to Jersey City my first time and it was a tiny apartment. So... Similar to you, like we had a better lifestyle in India because we were more settled, but coming to the US, it almost felt like taking a step back in the very beginning. So, no,
1: so that's what I'm saying. Like, for me, sorry, maybe I should have gone a little more into detail. Mine was the exact opposite of that. Um, Because I grew up in a place where, like, I knew there was a lot of poverty, and within Ghana, my neighborhood was at the bottom it was pretty obvious that coming to America was like, this gonna be mind blowing and mind changing. And from the get go, I could see it like things like, you know, me thinking that us having one TV made us the richest people in the world. And then coming here and seeing that every home literally has multiple TVs, like makes you step back. And then you find out everyone has flushing and toilet and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, like it's pretty obvious things are better just Uh, To what degree is the American dream an ideal more so than a reality to work towards?
0: So you said your family was, you know, one of the well-off people in that neighborhood. And then when you moved to the United States, uh, that playing field was just different. Like it was elevated in the sense of like everyone had a TV. Everyone had a flushing toilet. So it sounded like you had a, you are describing like a very good life in Ghana when you moved to the U.S. You were like, yeah, this is cool, but it looks like everyone has this. And it kind of gave you the impression of like, hey, there's a lot more that
1: uh, is out there. Is that fair to say? Um, not quite. So trying another angle, what I meant more was that growing up in Ghana, it was mm-hmm. obvious that my family was in poverty. Uh, just given by the very nature of the neighborhood you live in, right? Like, similar to America, the neighborhood you live in can give you an idea of someone's socioeconomic status. Um, what I'm saying is that growing up in Ghana, I could still tell that my family, like we were at, well, what would be considered the lowest. But uh, we had different things that could separate us from being the lowest, right? So, like having a TV, mm-hmm. um, or even actually having a home. So, like growing up, literally, like okay. To expand on it, um, to this day, most of my friends didn't go to school past third grade. Um, I I got to go to school because my dad was in America and could send the money back home, and I moved to America when I was fourth or fifth grade. So. So when I talk about feeling like my family was well off my like my baseline was kids not going to school past third grade while because Ghana is a country and there are wealthy people I also knew that like most people are able to go to school past high school and people can get jobs and stuff just that wasn't afforded to my language but coming to America and finding that oh even for their poverty people like their baseline isn't do you get to school past their grade is are you going to graduate high school?
0: Mm, gotcha. So let's talk about uh, your, your schooling experience then. You, you kind of described, you know, you were familiar with this outsider label when you were in Ghana as well. How was that experience like in the United States?
1: Um, it's really similar. So like in Ghana, because my friends don't go or my neighborhood, we don't even really have schools like that. Um, Growing up, I would have to drive about an hour to go to school, and all my friends in that neighborhood knew the neighborhood I was from, so it helped me also, like, build thick skin very early that, you know, this is something I do just for school to give myself a better future, but when I come home, this is my neighborhood, and this is the people I hang out with and play with. Um, And oftentimes, one thing that would usually surprise them is, so I got lucky where I'm not like ultra smart, but I like to think I am at the very least better than average, whatever that may mean. Uh, yeah, I think so, uh,
0: after an engineering degree and a full time position and the work, of, you know, the line of work you do, that's a fair, fair thing to say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, just use that as a starting point, just because, I mean, we all have different criteria for what we use to determine that um, and to each your own but i bring that up to say that um going yeah going to school there it was just people would be surprised that oh can he like Lucian really did that no i don't believe it like this dude is from this place and he does that and his family does that so like don't stress so i come to america and uh you get similar things right where like i'll do well in school uh, like, I remember my very first, uh, it was fifth grade, first Spelling Bee, I won the Spelling Bee. Um, and everyone's like, wait, what the heck? How, how can that happen? Um, which, like, you know, right, it totally makes sense. i literally just moved to this brand new country. Um, but to me, it took a while to hint that, oh, there might be another level of that. I'm also black and most people here aren't black. When growing up, the idea of, oh, what, how did Yujin do this or Yujin might be different was like not any different despite everyone being black
0: Got it. So the the limitations that were put on by, you know, just the, the label that society gives you, you're kind of breaking those barriers throughout and you weren't necessarily, you know, using those as limitations, but more so sounds like motivation because you end up not only succeeding in what you do, but continue to do so. Is that a fair assumption?
1: Yeah, but only, only because I had a family background that made that possible.
0: Mm, gotcha.
1: Which is a whole other conversation. Can,
0: okay, so we like can,
1: we might been touch on.
0: Got it. So, like, what what kind of barriers that did you face where, you know, you you had to overcome, or you realize in hindsight, you know, in hindsight, it's always twenty twenty vision where you're like, hey, these barriers were placed on me, but because of my uh, family support or background,
1: I was able to overcome them. Yeah. So perfect one. So I also got fortunate that my dad um, was an educated man, or as an educated man. So he had gone to school in the Soviet Union and that's where he got his bachelors slash masters, came to the States and got a master's again. Um this is important because you know he's been here a while and whenever we get in, I won't forget this. I was supposed to start school in what fourth grade? And they had recommended that I start school in second grade. Because based off where we're from in Ghana, there's no way I'll be able to compete at the current California fourth grade level. And I remember my dad, like I'm a little kid, I just moved down. I remember him being so pissed and just going up like, damn, I'm tired of people just, you know, making assumptions without knowing anything. So he made a huge deal out of it where I had to go and take all these tests to prove that um, I belonged in the grade that I like that my age would mean. Um and my little sister had to go through something similar. So for me, like my dad is kind of freaking out, but I'm seeing it as you know it, it makes sense. Reasonably speaking, you have someone coming to a new country where English is dominant, and you don't know their language skill set, so you just want to see where like they're starting from or or where that should be. Um, But sixth grade, one of my best friends was a German kid and we would have these kind of conversations and he had moved here um, fourth grade as well. And he was talking about how not just in his experience, but other family members experience that had kids around our age, that whole idea of having to prove that you are capable at whatever state level your age would mean, um, they never had to go through that whole process of proving that.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I remember when I first came here,
0: I had to take uh, this test called uh, to see if I would be in ESL uh, section, ESL. like Eng- English as Second Language section. And I remember, like, I passed it uh, pretty, like, well, like I didn't have any issues. Like, I, I was in English medium school in India as well, but. There was a huge gap between the English that's taught in India versus English that's taught in the U.S. One, it's British English that we get taught in India. British English, yeah. And two, like I remember uh, math came very easy for me at that level, but English was extremely difficult. Like I remember like I was learning similes and metaphors. I'm like, I don't know what the heck you guys are talking about. So it was like I'm like light years ahead on the math side of things, but like struggling to keep up on the English side of things. And it was just like a weird dynamic I remember the first few years. And then similar to you, you said like your friend, he didn't have to go through that, uh, because he was, you know, from what'd you say, German background?
1: Yeah, yeah. So family's very German.
0: Got it. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing. And like I say, it's probably different from state to state. But I remember like the first few years in the US, I I I, I don't remember like it being just, like, a piece of cake. Like, I always remember thinking, like, U.S. would have this luxurious life and no issues at all, but, like, that assimilation took some time. So it's interesting to hear your story as well.
1: That's right. That's why I talk about the family background where, like, I just got incredibly lucky that outbreak and I got. Like, I often joke with my little brother, he's 10 now, and, you know, they've traveled to, like, all over Europe and all these other things. And my parents often look back at the fact that whenever we go home right now, we still don't have, like, flushing toilets um, in our home in the capital of Accra, Ghana. But my little brother can move around and things like that. And I, looking back, our upbringing was one that I never saw it as, like, poverty because, you know, you're a kid. Mm -hmm. And you just don't think about those things. But I think just the idea that life can be difficult at times, but don't forget to try and enjoy it as you go through. Yeah, for sure. When I look back, it seems like the people that have the least have that at the very front of their mind. Um, And I just got lucky to be raised with that kind of mindset. So it made processes a little easier.
0: Yeah, 100%. It may, it may not be easy to realize when you're in the weeds of it, like when you're going through it. But looking back, like, you really did get the best of both worlds in the sense of, like, when I look back at it, it's like, hey, I'm really lucky to have this experience, and I'm also very lucky to have this experience. So I really did get the best of both worlds.
1: Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. There's um, a bit of an aside, but with all the statues going down, I was in. Uh, There's the huge one in D.C. of um, Abe Lincoln effectively Mm -hmm. freeing a slave. And Frederick Douglass had written this really, really long piece on it. And it was incredible. You could see that even back then, like, he felt like, hey, it's obvious. Abraham Lincoln is America's president. He's white. He's going to do things, like, primarily to make sure that It's in white people's best interest, too. But he had a huge amount of respect for this idea that Abe's, quote-unquote, humble upbringing um, allowed him to just be able to see things from different perspectives in a way that people that grow up in wealthier upbringings may not have through no faults of their own, just right. haven't had that opportunity to experience
0: the That's working. exactly it. They just never had the opportunity to experience anything but what they know. So it's like yeah, you yeah. you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's also disheartening just because we're humans. We Instead of taking it as, hey, I didn't know, let me learn, we just want to get defensive about not knowing. And once to pretend, I say, we always keep this.
0: That's a really good point because there's two ways to look at it. It's either you get very defensive and you close your shell. And if that's the case, then, you know, you never allow for any other inputs to influence your decisions. Or the other side could be, hey, I agree that I don't know. Let me first acknowledge that. And then two, once I know that there is something that I could learn, I go out and seek it. I think those two are completely different approaches and will really give you
1: completely different results. Couldn't agree more, could not agree more. And I might be biased here, but this is why I feel like the different games make one easier than the other. And that if you're from a place where scarcity um, was effectively an issue, then Mm -hmm. you are forced to go out of your comfort zone and trying to do those things a lot more than to joke when we talk about first world problems, right? first yeah, world problems yeah. because you really don't have. To. That's true. Yeah, and some, you know, and some of them.
0: It's a different kind of struggle when you're, you know, can't find your charger versus you can't find can't find food for the day.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which, um, unfortunately, I'm finding out in some weird ways doesn't mean one is necessarily a lot harder than the other. But mm-hmm. um objectively I think we would all much rather be in one position than the other. <laughs> <laughs>
0: agreed, agreed. So now uh, Eugene, let's talk about like the current
1: situation.
0: You know, you have a pretty unique background of uh having this uh the story of coming from uh Ghana to the United States but also growing up in Atlanta in our current times Uh, So I wanted to kind of ask you, like, how are you dealing with, you know, the current situation we're going through? And what do you hope comes out of it?
1: How I'm dealing with it, it's really just kind of like everyone else learning. Uh So what we just touched on, if I find out that, oh, I didn't know this thing, it can be hard, right? Because I'm human too, to just say like, "Mm, I didn't know this, but trying to push through that and learn. Um, and have that conversation, is how I'm going through this time, which ties into what I hope to get out of this, is that, what I hope comes out of this, is that everyone is doing something similar. Um, When I talk to most people, one of the reasons why we all take so much pride in being Americans, or having our family come here, is that this is supposed to be one of the greatest nations, um, not just in the world, but in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and to we know that greatness, a hallmark of greatness is um, being able to call out one's hypocrisy, focus, right? Just being able to be self-reflective. And it seems that, that as a nation, we don't do that very well. Um, And there have been reasons that economically that might have been viable, but now in this new day and age where we're also saying that, okay, given that we're a country and you also have to factor in how the world works and money runs the world, if we're saying that being inclusive and allowing everyone a piece of the American dream in 2020 is something that also benefits everyone economically, then let's actually put in the work.
0: Agreed, and I think the way to do that is, you know, understand more than the single story that you know. So it reminds me of this TED Talk that I really, really like. It's one of my favorite TED Talks ever, and uh, the name is escaping me of uh, the presenter, but her um, her TED Talk was titled "The Danger of a Single Story." So she kind of described how she grew up in Nigeria and she used to read books that were written by uh, white authors. So Uh, when she would write stories her uh, characters would also look like the stories that she would read in the books even though she was surrounded by people that didn't look anything like that and not only that but she would talk about the weather in her stories and she said the weather where she grew up was always nice but the weather in the books she read was not always like that so the The impressions that she grew up as a kid, like, literally carried in her, um, in her like implicit biases, and the unique situation for her was like she grew up reading this books written by, um, you know, British and American novelists, but growing up in a different country, and then when you kind of look at the other side of the mirror on this, you know, if the people who wrote those books never experienced what she was going through. So what she made a very conscious decision to do like when she's writing her books is to convey her story so that people have you know, another viewpoint and what she calls the danger of a single story. Uh, we don't fall in that trap. So I think the way you describe how you're approaching our current situation is exactly this, that, you know, you're trying to look at the other viewpoints and expand on the stories that you know and not fall in the trap of, you know, the danger of a single story.
1: Yes. Yes. And that is something that I'll be honest. I've been disappointed that a few of the other people I talk to um, that are trying to do that seem to struggle with, okay, what happens if I find new information that directly um, contradicts my beliefs? and may, may possibly mean I'm a bad person if this thing that I think is now, I'm now reading is actually a bad thing.
0: That's, that's an interesting point you bring up. So like, how do you deal with something that, you know, you haven't experienced or maybe disagree with?
1: Yeah, um, so I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. Uh But that's why I feel like um, earlier I was saying what I hope comes out is that people push themselves to learn. And Uh I like you tying in uh, the danger of the single story or single-sided story because I think that there is no, I don't know what the answer is, but I can definitely tell you that going back to what you know or what you've been reading Again, for X amount of years, is going backwards because you already know that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It right, doesn't no, help to okay. stay in that chamber uh, when you're going to get the same results.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So to give you an example, like I have a couple friends that, um, you know, they have different views on the flag and healing um, than I do, and I will ask them because to me, I think. Again, I feel like a lot of the miscommunication or the misunderstanding comes from incomplete information where people just don't know what they don't know. Um, so my ask has been, okay, watch the documentary 13 or watch this thing. Once you know, let's have the dialogue. And when
0: mm-hmm.
1: once they know and we're having the dialogue, it becomes pretty clear that they're just getting uncomfortable. And I see some people resorting or reverting back to the pieces that they would share when all this started. Which, again, that's the point I'm saying that kind of steps you backwards because if I'm trying to learn a new language or whatever it is and I'm not understanding it,
0: Mm -hmm. I would
1: want to spend more time with that thing I don't understand, not go back to what I understood well.
0: Got it. Yeah, you won't ever evolve like the growth mindset, right? You won't evolve if you don't uh, you know, expand your boundaries. Is that is that fair?
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Got yes. it. So very cool. So
1: it's so it's so hard because it has the human like the feel goodness about ourselves.
0: That is true. It is not easy for sure, but at the very least what we could do is understand something other than the story you already know.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. very cool. cool.
0: So that's awesome, man. And uh, I really like your, your, the nature and the approach you're taking through. Uh, you, know, you know, don't want to sugarcoat it, but it is a difficult time for all of us. Uh, but I think the one thing we could take away is that at the end of the day, we all want the best for ourselves and our neighbors. I think we can all agree with that. Uh, And I think if we have that common baseline, the rest of it is just a little bit of hard work and a little bit of dedication from everyone.
1: Yes. And that's why I'm stressing so much on how important it is to um, do your own education, whether it's reading or watching documentaries, whatever it is that you feel is the best method for you to get new information, because Mm -hmm. um, as someone that is foreign to this country, the one thing that has stood out, like, within five minutes of trying to learn, oh, what is American history like, American history about, is this idea that Black people are different from American people. It, It just seems, unfortunately, to be just very fundamental to how we do certain things um, and some people don't recognize it because it's not something that, you know, you're going to have to think through if you don't have black neighbors or black friends or black anything. So the best way to then learn about these kind of things is to go through the history, given the fact that there are baseline things, you know, right? Of having to fight a war and having to pass civil rights stuff, they should just because you're curious, I encourage people to then um, push through with that curiosity. That is,
0: yeah, I, I, that's an interesting perspective because, you know, you shared something that I may not see from my lens, but the way you're describing it is I know of it, but never experienced it. So at the very least I could do is understand the same baseline of facts like you said, And then the second is have that dialogue with someone who has experienced it to really build empathy. Because I think the only way uh, we can move forward is when we have the same mindset and the same uh, next steps that we want for each other. Would you agree?
1: Yes, yes. Um, I'll add one part, though, not to call you out, but it is something that I've been struggling with myself. Uh It's the idea of what is requirements for empathy. Um, And it's something that I've just been having trouble with. So what do you mean by that? that? So um, you were just now talking about, you know, after you do that research, um, learn whatever it is, also encouraging people to have dialogues with people that may have experienced some of these things Mm -hmm. um, that we're all trying to learn to build a level of empathy to an extent. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying is that part of why I'm so focused on, hey, do the research and try and learn, is my hope is that once we actually know the true history of how we got where we're at, people won't have to talk to anyone that's gone through it before because they can ah, okay. put themselves in that position.
0: Right? Got it. Okay. I, I agree with that. That's very cool. Thanks for sharing. And uh, Eugene, yeah. you know, you, you kind of said that's what your hope is going forward. So uh, I hope uh, from my end as well that we could get there. And I know it's going to be a... Um, uh, unknown journey for us because we're going through it and figuring it out as we go. But one thing I could say is, uh, you know, at the end of the day,
1: uh, we want the best for each other. I hope so too as well, man. It has been a very long time and um, I'm going to go out on the limb and assume that coronavirus and everything goes back to normal at some point before the world ends. Um, and when that <laughs> does, I hope, I hope you take some time to enjoy yourself too.
0: 100% and cheers to that, buddy. I
1: right, Good talk to care. you, man.
0: There's a quote by Bill Knight that says, Everyone you'll ever meet knows something you don't. And today I learned, which is best summarized by Chimananda Adichie, the author that gave the TED talk that I referred to earlier. She says, The single story creates stereotypes. And the problem with stereotypes is not that they're untrue but that they're incomplete. They make one story become the only story. And she ends with this thought, that when we reject the single story, when we realize that there's never a single story about any place, we regain a kind of paradise. So Eugene, thanks for making me realize that in our conversation.